Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. All right, well, today I'm going to be continuing our sermon series, In His Image. Uh, hasn't it been awesome just diving into the Imago Day, the image of God? Aaron laid the foundation for us on the first week of uh, our sonship and our identity as sons and daughters um, in the image of God. Duncan last week preached on broken reflections and how as sin entered the world, it it broke that sort of, it broke the relationship and severed uh, the friendship between man and God in the sense that we were always meant to commune with him in person, like flesh to flesh, right beside each other. And as sin came in, uh, through the world, through Adam and Eve, eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there entered shame and blame and fear and control and all the consequences that that held for humanity. And today, I'm going to be preaching just the gospel of Jesus and how Jesus has come to right every wrong, to undo everything. And, you know, this series has been sort of a journey uh, of exploration, of seeking to understand our identity in Christ and our, our reflection of him. But we can't do that without, without recognizing that woven in this narrative of humanity is, is the brokenness, is the despair and the hopelessness. But at the end of it, there is hope of Jesus. There is the hope of Jesus for all of us, the redemption the restoration that Jesus has brought. And today we're going to be diving into the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, and how he has restored all things back to himself, and he has restored us to our full image-bearing identity of who he is. So uh, the title of my message is The Second Adam, Redemption, Restoration, and New Creation. So in the opening chapters of Genesis, we read uh, God's act of creation, how he formed Adam and Eve from the dust, how he, you know, he roughly formed Adam, he fashioned Eve so beautifully, um, and he breathed his breath into the lungs of Adam and created man in his image. In Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this verse lays the foundation for our, our understanding of our uniqueness, of um, the uniqueness of humanity's creation, that we were not created like any other being. You know, on day four, he creates the, the angels, the angelic beings, and then he creates the next day the, the animals, and then he creates humans. And none of the people before the humans, none of the things, none of the animals, the creatures, none of them were created in the image or the likeness of God. But we as humanity were. And so that means that inside of us, we are imbued with this inherent dignity and worth that is unique to anything else that God has created. How amazing is that? And he looked at all of creation and he said it was good. And then he looked at humanity who was formed in his image and he said, it is very good. So turn to someone and say, you are very good. You are unique. <laughs> this phrase, image of God, in Hebrew, in Hebrew is Salem Elohim, 
which implies a representation, a representation, which indicates that humanity reflects God's nature and his character in a way that is distinct from the rest of creation. So Adam, the first man, he stood as the pinnacle of God's creation, the ultimate of God's creation. And he was tasked with stewarding the world that God created. He was given the role to steward all that God had given to him, the garden, the animals. And we know, we know the story. We know that the perfection of the garden did not last for long, right? As sin entered the world, as Adam and Eve gave in to their temptation of eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their, their eyes were open to their condition and to their nakedness, and shame came in, and sin entered, and this, um, their disobedience, it casted a shadow over God's perfect design. This was not his design. There was two choices for Adam and Eve, the, the tree of life and this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Imagine what the trajectory of humanity would have been like if they had just eaten that tree of life first. You know, we would be forever with, with him in eternity. We don't even know what the story would have been. But one thing that I love about God is that nothing surprises him. Nothing took him by surprise. He wasn't like, oh my gosh, what have they done? Like they've screwed up my plans and this was my plan A and now I've got to go to plan B and I've got to send Jesus, sacrifice my son. No, even before he even said, let there be light, before there was anything where there was just the spirit of God hovering on the waters and there was the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, when it was just them, he knew He knew the choices that Adam and Eve would make. He knew the plan that he would have to do, and yet he still chose to say, let there be light. He still chose to put his plan in motion because we're worth it, right? We are worth it. And so Adam's disobedience, it it comes in and it shatters this perfection and harmony of God's original intent and design for us. And it sends humanity into a state of, of death and separation from God. It wasn't separation because God didn't want to be our friends anymore. It was separation because he was holy and nothing that wasn't holy could be brought into his presence. And so we had to, we had to be separated as humanity from God. Genesis 3 verse 6 says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave also some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin, loins cloths. Loin cloths, sorry. So Adam's choices not only affected him and Eve, but it also affected all the rest of humanity. It changed the entire trajectory. And it left behind, and we see throughout the New Testament, it left behind a trail of of brokenness, of pain, of separation from God. But God, right? (laughs) See, we are the descendants of Adam, which means without Jesus, we have inherited the sinful nature of Adam. And that means that we as humanity, the consequence of that sin was that we were to bear the weight of the sin and its consequence, which was death. And 
the ancient Israelites, they needed to atone for their sins. They needed to shed the blood of an animal, sacrifice an animal, spill its blood, cleanse themselves for their sins. But throughout this state, okay, I don't want to dwell too much on this state, because throughout humanity's rebellion, God had a promise of hope. God had a promise of hope that would that would bring redemption in the way of a second Adam. God promises to send a seed in Genesis 3 that would crush the head of the serpent, right? And from Adam and Eve's lineage, that there would be a savior of the world. And God takes his time to sort of hone in throughout the Bible of where this seed, where this person was going to come from. And ultimately, he hones in on the lineage and the line of David and the line of Judah and Jesus Christ is the promised seed. And and along the way, God chooses unlikely people and unlikely leaders to... uh, to be well, unlikely people to be leaders of who he wants them to be. They're they're not necessarily the firstborns, they're maybe the weakest. And Jesus, even though he's God's one and only son, his firstborn son, he comes in and he takes the place of a lowly servant, not assuming his role as his rightful place as the firstborn and the heir, but he comes to serve. And he came and took a lower rank, waiting for God to exalt him at his time. And Jesus becomes this fulfillment, this promise of God, the seed of hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So the second Adam, or the last Adam, is this a theological framework that we see throughout the New Testament, particularly in the writings of Paul. And it refers to Jesus Christ as the contrast um, and fulfillment of the role of Adam, like of Adam and Eve, that Adam, of the first Adam, the first man in human history. And we have to understand Jesus coming as the second Adam to understand the redemptive work of what Jesus did on the cross and the tr- and how that transformed us as humanity. So Jesus, he didn't come to just create a new path for humanity. He came to rewrite the story. He came to write what was wrong. Because what God created was, it was beautiful. That was what he intended. He intended for a, a relationship with us, for union and communion. And so Jesus didn't come to to blow that all up and start all over. No, he came to right what was wrong. He came to undo what Adam had done. He came to where, where humans had failed to fulfill our part of our covenant with God. He comes to right that covenant and create and form a new covenant with us. And so as I was, as I was studying this, I was thinking about what did, what did Adam do or not do that then Jesus came to fulfill? So number one, Obedience to God's command. Adam disobeyed God's command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, ultimately leading to him entering into sin with the, with the serpent. But Jesus demonstrated an unwavering obedience to the will of his father. Even unto death of the cross, he still says, not my will, but your will be done. 
And he surrenders himself completely to the will of the Father, to this redemption, redemptive plan. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Number two, victory over temptation. So Adam, he yielded to the temptation that the devil presented to him, right? Eating of the fruit. But Jesus, he overcame every temptation that was presented to him by the enemy in the, in the wilderness. And he shows his steadfast commitment to honor God and fulfill his, his purposes. Number three, restoration of humanity. Adam, through his disobedience, brought sin and death into this world, leading to humanity's uh, spiritual separation from God and ultimately like the decay of creation in a sense. But Jesus, through his obedience, provides the way for humanity's reconciliation with God and the restoration of all things. It's his sacrificial death on the cross and the atonement for our sins of humanity that offers us forgiveness and redemption and makes us right again with God and gives us the hope of eternal life. Number four, the establishment of a new covenant. Adam inherited a covenant of works where obedience was required to maintain fellowship with God. But Jesus comes to bring a new covenant right? Jesus comes to fulfill the law and he comes and brings a covenant of grace. A beautiful covenant of grace, which offers us a free gift that we don't deserve to anyone who believes in him. And that covenant of grace is through his death, through the shedding of his blood. So one man there's one man who death con- or death conquered humanity in one man. And then there's one man who conquers death for all of humanity. And this week, I'm not going to lie, I was getting rocked by the gospel. See, it's oftentimes the simplicity of the gospel that just you need to permeate your soul again. And I hope that when I'm 80, I'm still overwhelmed and overcome by the beautiful simplicity of Jesus, that he died for me, that he restored me back to himself. And I pray that for each and every one of us, that we would dwell and meditate on that gospel, the beautiful gospel, and just how beautiful the imagery is of the Bible, you know? The, the tree of life in the garden, the tree of life, it symbolized eternal life with God. It symbolized this union, this communion with him. But Adam's sin made it so we were separated from that tree. We weren't allowed to go near that tree. That's why we had to be, you know, sent out from the garden so we didn't go near that tree. But then Jesus, he's often, he's often depicted as the true tree of life. Right? He's the source of our eternal life, our reconciliation with God. And he provides now a access to this tree of life once again, giving us as believers the promise of eternal life and this union once again with God through him as the tree of life. See, Christ needed to share our humanity in order to save humanity. He didn't come as just God to this earth. 
He came as fully God and fully man. He had to, in order to be the last Adam, he had to be like us. He had to be human in form as well. And Romans 15, or sorry, Romans 5 verse 18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, they, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. See, Jesus came to undo everything that Adam did. Where Adam failed, Jesus came to, where he failed in disobedience, Jesus came to be perfectly obedient. And he has justified all of us through his one act Through his act of obedience to God, he has justified us and made us righteous. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. So we now have victory through the cross. On that cross, when Jesus breathed his last breath, when he said it is finished, he meant it. He wasn't joking. He wasn't punking us. He meant it. He meant death is conquered. Death is done. Death is swallowed up. Everything that was unraveled in the garden has now been made right. You have been made right. You have a right standing with Jesus Christ. And that sin that you've been struggling with, it's done. It's over. It's gone. That shame you've been struggling with, it's done. It's dealt with. It's over. And when he died, we died with him. You are dead. You were dead. We'll get to the next part. We died. Our old sinful nature died. The old Jess died. The old Adam died. And when he was buried, we were buried with him in that tomb. We were buried there with him. And he conquered... He conquered death. He took the keys to Hades. And he raised from the dead three days later. And we get to celebrate that next month, his resurrection. And when he rose from the dead, we rose with him. We rose in oneness with him. See, we can no longer be separated from him because we died with him, we were buried with him, and now we've been raised to life with him. And you and I are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Amen? It's his his triumph over sin and death. And through his resurrection, that brings new life and restoration. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are victorious. Amen? We are victorious. So our image has been restored in Christ through Jesus as the firstborn son. So there's there's different names throughout scripture 
that Paul refers to Jesus as the firstborn. The first one is the firstborn of creation. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and this church is made up of a group of people who come from a polytheistic culture, so they are used to worshiping many gods, okay? So when he's speaking to them, he's saying, this is the new way that you are to live. You're not to worship many gods, you're to do this. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. See, it's, it's not very clear in our English translations what's happening here. But in the Greek, this is a, sort of a mini poem that Paul is, is writing to describe the relationship between a father and a son. That they are distinct people but yet they are one. And their relationship is central to their identity. How beautiful is that? The relationship between the father and the son and their oneness and their union is imperative to understanding their identity. That they cannot exist without one another, but yet they are the same person. It's like, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's wild. But in um, Paul writes another sort of one of these poems in Colossians 1, which shows again this father-son relationship. says in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body and the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, it's significant here that Paul doesn't use the same language of Genesis 1. He doesn't say Jesus is made in the image of God. What does he say? If you go back to verse 15, it says he is the image of the invisible God. So in other words, he's recognizing this pre-incarnate Jesus is the image in which us as humans have been made. And Paul, in the same breath, he calls Jesus the firstborn of creation, the creator of all things. He's not saying that Jesus was created, but rather he's the firstborn. And he's referring here to an identity of a firstborn. See, a firstborn in the Jewish culture was, when they would talk about a family, they would talk about the father and the firstborn. And that showed authority that talked about inheritance If the father died, the reason why the firstborn would get all the inheritance was so that he could take care of the rest of the family. It wasn't because they preferred the firstborn or whatever. It was so that they could continue on to act as the father of the firstborn or of the family. It's a position of authority in this family. And so here, Paul is writing about Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. His place of authority within creation. He is the image in which we have been born. 
In first in Colossians 1, he also talks about Jesus as the position of the uh well as a position of creation, firstborn of creation, but what that means is he's the head of the community of believers, which is the church or the body. He is the head of us. And Jesus is the head of a new human family which transcends the sin, which transcends the the death and everything that was wrong with the world. And he's established now a new family where Jesus sits at the head of this new family. That's what it means, firstborn of the dead. I didn't, growing up, I didn't understand that when I was reading it. The firstborn of the dead, that sounds really creepy, right? Like a zombie or something. But what he's saying is he's the firstborn of the people who he has raised from the dead. He is the firstborn of us, this new family where we used to be under the rule and the reign of death and sin. And now he's the firstborn from the dead. He sits at the head of a new family where death has no power over us anymore. Amen? So as disciples of Jesus, we have been adopted into this new family. And we get to cry out, Abba, Father. We get to cry, we get to, we get to realize God as our father, that we have been adopted into this beautiful family where Jesus is, Jesus is our brother. And he's the, the second Adam, the last Adam. He's undone everything that was lost. Everything that Adam did, he's redeemed. He's set right. He's set back to what was meant to be in the first place. Romans 8.29, Paul calls Jesus the firstborn among many brethren, referring to us as humans who get to be adopted by God into the family. That's Jews, that's Greeks, the Gentile, right? That's, we've been adopted as Americans, as Canadians, as British, as Dominicans, as Colombians, Brazilians, Nigerians, South Africans. We've all been adopted now into this beautiful family of God. He's the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus, in a sense, he is the first person to respond to the trust and the love of the Father. We were always meant as humans to be united to God, to be united to the love of God. And now, through the sacrifice of Jesus, we can truly be united to God. That means that we can truly bear the image of God. We can truly be the Imago Dei of God, the image of God. We can truly be human in this new way. Jesus, he is the first human to understand that. And he, he paves a new way for us to, to understand who we are in him. None of it would be possible without the redemptive work of Jesus. Amen? And what this means for us as believers is that we get to embrace a new identity in Christ. Our old self is gone. Our old nature is gone. We get to live as new creations through faith and through our belief, our salvation in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 2, or sorry, 4.24 says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I think so many of believers across the body are still living as if they are old creations. They're striving for connection and love from God. They're striving for a place and position with him. They're ashamed because of their sin. They're still in bondage to their addictions, still in bondage to their thought life, to their anxieties, depression, still in bondage with our sin. And Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross for us, we don't want it to be in vain, right? We want to live and celebrate in the victory of what he did. Guys, he conquered death. He wrote every wrong. He wrote the wrongs of Genesis 3. He's rewritten a story for us. He's rewritten a narrative for us. And when we, when we stay in our cycles of, um, when we stay in our cycles of sin and shame and trying to control our lives and, and living for ourselves and walking in that guilt, We're not living in our new nature. We're not living in the understanding that we have been made in the image of the person who was the image of God and he's created a new path for us and a new life and he's given us a new story and it's beautiful and it's full of redemption and we're now clothed in a new nature. We've been invited to take off the old clothes, right? Take off the grave clothes, put on the new nature of Christ. You start to look like the person you spend time with. I think back to my life growing up and how when in a place of insecurity, in a place of not knowing who I was, I would, I would hang out with the, the people who would bring me to make wrong decisions and I wouldn't reflect who I was in Christ. I wouldn't reflect my new nature. But when I stopped doing that and I started hanging out with God and I started sitting in his presence and sitting at his feet and reading his word and learning about who he was and what he's done for me, I started to look more and more like him. See, every day we are meant to start looking more and more like Jesus. When we behold him, we become like him. We become like his image. We become more patient. We become more kind. We become more loving. We want to look like him because we want to serve like him. We want to be generous like him. We want to love like him. We want to be like him because he's beautiful. We have been called to embrace our identity as children of of the second Adam. To live like those who have been rescued from sin. The power of sin and death. And I think about Adam's choices and how his disobedience affected the generations. And I think about my own life and how my choices today impact my future generations. And how I want to say no. It ends right here. The struggle of whatever it is. It ends today right here. I want to break free from the destructive patterns of my family and my past 
and I want to embrace a new life that is offered in Christ. So I want to invite you guys to stand with me this morning. There's an invitation for us this morning to respond to that, that there are two, in a sense, there are two Adams that we can follow, the first Adam and the the second Adam, and that the second Adam provides a way for us to walk in the restorative power of Christ, for us to be transformed and made new. And if you want that today, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. Just fix your eyes on Jesus and just take a moment to acknowledge any area where you're, you've been living like an old creation. You haven't been living in the new. Maybe you've been continuing these toxic thought patterns. You've been self-destructive or self-deprecating. Maybe you've been struggling with a hidden sin or addiction, whether that's gambling, alcoholism, substances, pornography. Maybe you're just tired of living in shame, being ashamed of choices that you made back in the day that you feel like have affected where you are today. And God wants to just today release right now his forgiveness. Let the power of the cross and the the redemptive power of Jesus just wash over you this morning. That you have been made new. That it is finished. That you've been resurrected. That your old nature is gone. It, It was buried in that tomb a long time ago. And the only thing that makes the difference between that old nature and your new nature is you transforming your mind and your spirit to recognize that you aren't in that old nature anymore. You have been made new. Jesus, just look upon us this morning. Jesus, we lift our eyes to you. We fix our eyes on you. We pray that we would become more and more like you every day, Jesus. Would you continue transforming us into your likeness? We want to walk like you, Jesus. We want to talk like you. We want to love like you. Come and remind us, Lord, who we are this morning. That you are the headship of our lives, Lord. You are the Lord of our lives, take our eyes off of our shame and we lift our heads to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.